I love the fall. I love the newness of the fall. I always loved it as a, uh, as a kid. I loved coming in to the fall. One of my favorite things was to go and get my new school supplies. Right? I love the trapper keeper. Um, some of you don't even know what that is. That the, the, the fresh spiral notebooks, the mechanical pencils. I just love the, the newness. I love knowing that I was going to meet some new people at school. And, and I, I love the new football season. Love to, to, to come and watch my favorite team. I'm really loving it right now as my boys are playing football and I'm going to those games. There's just so many things I love about the fall. I love the weather change. It hadn't quite happened yet, uh, but I love the, the coolness of the breeze. There's just the newness is so refreshing. And one of the things I love to do in the fall is to start a new series. So congratulations, you're here for the first day of a new series. But this one's very special because nothing brings newness like the gospel. Like the gospel gives everyone a fresh start. If you don't know what the gospel is, it's the good news of Jesus. And so we're gonna be doing a series called The Goodness of the gospel. For some of you, it's going to be brand new because you've never actually heard this gospel of Jesus, but I'm praying that it will be new for all of us as we see it with new eyes, fresh eyes, the goodness of the gospel. So turn with me in your phones, in your Bibles, and whatever you brought today to Mark chapter 1, and I want to encourage you, be going through this with us. The Bible will change your life. I love the Word of God. I want you to fall in love with it. That's my desire is that you'd fall in love with it this fall. And we're going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Mark is one of the first books of the New Testament. It's known as one of the Gospels. And it starts with this phrase, the beginning of the good news. Say good news. Man, it has not been a month of good news. If you turn on your television, if you're looking on your news apps, so many challenges, challenges in Afghanistan right now. Our hearts are broken with the, the families of the ones that lost different San Diegans that have given their lives serving our country. We're so grateful for them. Our hearts are broken. Hasn't been good news with uh, the, the hurricane coming to the East Coast. We, we look at the, the crime rates and the murder rates and, and so much pain going on. And so it's great that we can open the Bible and see the phrase, the beginning of the good news. Because I want to tell you that all is not lost in 2021. There is good news for you today. And it's right here in this book, the beginning of the good news. Why? Because look at this next phrase, about Jesus. About Jesus. Don't you just love that name? Would you just say that name with me, Jesus? Man, when things are hard, say the name Jesus. Man, when things are scary, say the word Jesus. He is the good news. And it doesn't just stop there. It says the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. You know, we're constantly hearing world leaders, political leaders coming and saying, I'm going to bring change. I'm going to bring transformation. I'm going to bring this. Can I tell you that humans will always fall short, but there is no one like Jesus because he actually is the Messiah, and the Messiah means the anointed one. It means the Savior of the world. When we open the Bible and we start looking at Jesus, he is different than any other person that's ever lived on the face of the planet because look at the next phrase. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son 
of God. The Son of God. All other world leaders pale in comparison. I love studying about world leaders. I love studying about Abraham Lincoln or, 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 or George Washington. I love reading about Martin Luther or Martin Luther King Jr. or Mahatma Gandhi. But can I tell you that they were just mere mortals. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And though we respect people of other religions and we do not want to denigrate them, can I tell you the other founders of religions like the Buddha or Muhammad or Joseph Smith or you name your world religion, those leaders are not on the equal playing field because they were men. But Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And you can put your hope, your faith, your confidence in him. And if he is for you, no one can be against you. So today, church, we have good news. But then we take this strange kind of like left turn. Because then it goes in verse 2, it says, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, so all of a sudden we jump back like hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus it says, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And you read that and you're like, what the heck? Okay, the best news that's ever hit the planet is coming and it starts in the wilderness like, why? Well, that's weird. You know, if you had good news, you'd think, go to the heart of the city. Go to the most influential city on earth. Go to the London, the Tokyo, the LA, the New York. Go to the seat of commerce. Go to Wall Street. Go to the seat of power. Go to Washington, D.C. Go to the, 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 the place of societal influence. Go to Beverly Hills. And it says, no, it's going to the wilderness. Today, I, I, I want to I wanna tell you the wilderness, that's, that's the country. Like, wh why, why go to the country? The, the, the root of wilderness is the word wild, dangerous, right, untamed. Today, I want to ask you this question, title of this message, what country is your gospel from? What country is your gospel from? Because Jesus comes in a totally different way than we would expect. And the place that was prepared, it came from the wilderness. And my concern is one of the reasons that Christianity has lost its power in America is because our gospel has become too Americanized. Our gospel is coming more from America than our gospel is coming from the wilderness. Because the wilderness is untamed. The wilderness is unpredictable. The wilderness... It's dangerous. When you think of your Christianity, is that what you think of? That's not how I grew up. I grew up thinking about uh, I, I, my Christianity had khaki pants that were pleated and a, and a fresh polo shirt and sometimes a tie, and I sat in my pew, and it was very, very, very predictable, and, and it, was, it was a bunch of, you know, it was just perfectly, and I knew exactly when it started and, and when it would end, and then you say, in the wilderness. And then Jesus sends this messenger 
that God sends this messenger to precede Jesus, and you're like, what? Like, he's not who I would have picked, this guy. And he's saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Can I tell you that there's a way that Jesus comes, and it's not always our way. And it's not always the way of America. It's not always. Here's the thing. Our gospel has become so Americanized. I heard this preacher say, you know, if you just do this, then your promotion at work is coming. I really heard that. And I'm like, I just don't know that that's always the case. Like, ask Job. Ask, ask the disciples. Ask, ask the followers of Jesus. Ask Jesus. Did he always get promoted? If, if we just do this, then we're going to be more, more financially prosperous. If you just do this, it's just going to be up and to the right and more and more successful. And I'm afraid that this American gospel might not be the gospel of Jesus. Because he came in the wilderness. Hebrews 11, this is... This is talking about the ones that actually really followed Jesus, like they embraced the true gospel. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Now, the crazy thing is we're the ones who actually see the things promised. We have Jesus. We have this side of the cross. We have salvation. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the resurrection says, but people who say such things show, now this is what I want you to see right here. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Can I ask you again, what country does your gospel come from? Does it come from this world or does it come from a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has repaired a city for them. I want a better San Diego. I want to see our city touched by the love of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus. I want to see marriages reconciled. I want to see people taken in and cared for. I want to see all peoples given the, 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 the love that God wants to give them. But in the end, I'm not living for this city. I'm living for a heavenly city. And that's your hope. You're living for a heavenly city. You see, this gospel, it's different. This gospel is different. It's, it's, a, it's a different message. And those who take it forth, they live a different life. And so I want to talk to you about some, some differences about the gospel of the kingdom than the gospel of our country. I want to talk to you about some differences between people that carry the true gospel and the people of this world. And the, the first one is this. They have a different message. If you're taking notes today, they have a different message. Do you know that you're supposed to carry a different message than the message of the world? Do you know that you're supposed to have a different message? If you fall in love with Jesus, he's going to give you a different message. And what's that message? That message, it says, John... John, this, this crazy wilderness preacher, came preaching a message. It says, a message of a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Write down that word, church, repentance. We say it with me, repentance. Man, repentance has not been something 
that's popular to preach about in church because to repent, you have to know that you're wrong. You have to actually say that there are wrong and there are right things on this earth. Church, do you know that there is absolute truth? His name is Jesus. And do you know that his words are true? And do you know that what he says we should do, we should do, and what he says we shouldn't do is called sin? Uh, let, me, let me just ask you this, church. Do you believe that there are 10 commandments? Why did God give us the 10 commandments? Oh, he's so mean. Why did he give us, why did he give us those 10? No, he gave you the commandments to protect you. To, to help you live a protected life, a life where he could pour out his favor and his blessing. And when you live by them, you are taken care of by him. And, and he says, I am going to meet you in this place and you're gonna have me and you're gonna walk with me and I will be, my hand will be on your life. Guys, this message is one of repentance. Let me ask you today, do, do you believe that the, the first commandment, that we shouldn't have any other gods but the Lord? Do, do you believe that there's one God? His name is Yahweh. His name is Jehovah. He has a son named Jesus. And, and, and is your heart broken when you live with other gods instead of him? When we chase after money and sex and power and celebrity instead of him, is our heart broken and do we actually repent? Do you believe, number two, the second command, that we shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain? Like our hearts should be broken when we take the Lord's name, the holiest name, the most beautiful name, the most precious name. Do you know it's a sin? And if we sin, we want to actually repent. Let me, let me skip to some other ones. Do you believe that adultery is a sin? The Bible says do not commit adultery. What's adultery? Adultery is sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And do you believe that it's sin to, to commit sexual acts outside of marriage? That's what the Bible says. And does it break your heart? And then Jesus took it up to even a higher standard. He said, if you look at the young woman lustfully, then you've committed adultery in your heart. And my question is, does that break our hearts? And do you know why I want to repent? It's because I want Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. I don't want anything to, to break my intimacy with him. Not, like, listen to me. He loves you because you're his child. Yeah, I'm not talking about earning his love, folks. But you know what? Do you want to be a rebellious child that just he loves from afar? Or do you want to just climb up in his lap? and just have everything he has for you. I wanna be pleasing to him, I wanna, so it's not how close to the edge can I get in my sexual sin, how close can I get in my lying, in my speech, in taking his name in vain, in coveting what my neighbor has. No, guys, the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you wanna run from sin and run into the arms of Jesus. It's because I want Jesus more than anything. I want Jesus. And so it's this message of repentance, but today you have to decide, am I gonna actually call sin, sin? Am I gonna agree with the Bible or am I gonna agree with the latest thing that someone's saying and their crazy new idea? It's a message of repentance. And that's the goodness of the gospel, why? Acts 3.19, write this verse down, listen to this. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out 
that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Okay, here's what I know about San Diego. Now, having lived here 14 years, I've spent more of my adult life here than I did where I came from. San Diego loves refreshment. Like San Diegans, we are professional refreshment chasers, right? We love going to the beach. We love going to the Padres game. I, I love these things. I, lo I love getting refreshed. Can I tell you there's nothing more refreshing than repenting so that Jesus can come and fill your life. That's what the Bible says. Chase refreshment all day long. You'll never find it like you'll find in Jesus. He says repent so seasons of refreshment might come. Right, not just a, a night of refreshment, Micah, a day of refreshment, Micah, so a season. Repent. Just see, I dare you to repent today and see if you don't feel that load lifted off your shoulder, if you don't feel the presence of God coming in and meeting you. So many don't experience God because they're not repenting. So many, um, man, we were, went into COVID and you just heard preacher after preacher after preacher start talking about the same verse. It's so cool when the whole body of Christ is talking about one verse, and it was 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And, and if you look at 13, it says, when I send a, a, a pestilence or, or, or a plague, then it says, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, and pray, then I'll hear them from heaven, and I will come and heal their land. All these preachers saying that. But did, my question for the church in America is, did we repent? Could it, could it be that the, the reason things have just continued on and there's a next wave and there's more hurricanes and there's more pain and the crime rate is skyrocketing and the murder rate is skyrocketing. Could it be because we're not repenting? Could it be because God is saying, church, come to me, humble yourselves, pray, turn from your wicked ways. See, here, here's the problem, church. You're going, Pastor, you're being so hard. Wow, you are calling out. What I'm not doing is I'm not coming against sinners. We, we get it all wrong, church. We hate sinners, but then we secretly love the sin. No. Hate the sin. Man, I walked in so much sin, and so I was such a hypocrite as a young Christian, and then I felt miserable, and I didn't experience God. And so I started crying out, God, let me hate sin. Let me hate sexual sin. God put a supernatural hate, and you know what? He started working that inside me. It takes God to follow God. You can't do it in your own strength, so call out, cry out, God, let me hate it. But what we do as Christians is we hate the sinner, but we don't hate sin, so we hate the sinner, and then we go and secretly sin, and so then the world just sees us as a bunch of hypocrites. We need to hate the sin and love the sinner. We need to be able to welcome any person in any lifestyle into this place, not hating them, hating the sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. I believe there is coming a move of God again, but it's gonna be a move of repentance. That's what happened in the last Jesus movement when things got this crazy. If you look at the markers, they were the same.
It was just sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was, it was crazy racial pain. It was crazy distrust in government. There was so much enmity against people. And how did God respond? He responded with the Jesus movement. And people were repenting, and they were flocking out and getting baptized in droves. Lord, do it again. Do it again. But we have to be clear that sin is sin. And there is a right and wrong, and that we're falling short of the standard of our perfect and loving God. And it's not because he hates us. He's actually because he loves us that he gives it to us. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Do you know God uses different people than we think? I mean, we, we love celebrities. We love the most chiseled, the most sculpted, the most glitzy, the most glamorous. And God's like, I love this camel skin wearing locust eater. I had this dream a couple weeks ago. I was so discouraged. I didn't know if I was going to get to share it, but God's been releasing me in these two services to share it. I was, I was so discouraged midweek a couple weeks ago. And I went to sleep, and I had this dream, and in this dream, a move of God had come. And there was this one guy, and he's walking around the church, and, and he did not look like the, the coolest. He, he was wearing kind of outdated clothes, and, and, and he was, he was kind of awkward socially, but the power of God was flowing through this guy. I believe God is raising up a generation that cares more about the heart than our appearance, because that's the next thing, is we need a different appearance. The people that bring the true gospel, they care about a different appearance. And don't worry, I'm not about to, 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 to mandate some legalistic dress code and hear all women come next week, we're wearing buns. That's not, right, that's not what I'm, men, we're gonna start wearing robes, right? And I just previewing with some sandals. We're gonna wear Jesus sandals. From now, no, that's not, that's not what I'm saying, I love 1 Samuel 16, where, where, where David, the little shepherd boy, he's just blowing everyone's mind because all his brothers came in and they were strapping and they were, they were studs. And, and the, the, the king right before David was Saul and he was a, a head taller and, and he was this handsome man. And then David walks in and what does God say? He says, don't consider their appearance because God's rejected them. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Here's the good news of the gospel. God looks at the heart. And I believe he's raising up a generation that cares more about the appearance of our heart than the appearance of our outer man. And you know, that's really good news because who of us are as good looking as we want to be? Right? I mean, that's gr that is great news for us followers of Jesus. Right? You can keto all day long, but you'll never be as good looking as you want. But God said, that's not what I care about. I care about your heart. I mean, do your diet and be blessed. I'm not telling you not to. I'm, but I, what I'm saying is the good news is you don't have to be the best looking. You don't have to be the sharpest tack in the box. You don't have to be the, the fastest, the smartest, the, the, the most wealthy. God is looking at your heart. The playing field is level at the foot of the cross. You know, uh, it, it, it's crazy that 
we don't see anything written about Jesus. Like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Jesus-aholic, so I, I like look at every verse about Jesus. And if you notice, you'll never see something about his appearance in the New Testament. But what do you see in Isaiah 53? It says this, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. I believe that God is raising up a generation that spends more time studying Jesus than studying the latest celebrities to conform into his image and not theirs. And then I love this next verse. After me, this is John the Baptist speaking again, Mark chapter three, I'm Mark chapter one. After me comes the one more powerful than I. Uh, this just flies in the face of our, of, of our modern culture because it's all about me. It's all about celebrating me. The politicians are like, I will do this. This is what I did. Here is my accomplishments. That's what our world is teaching us to do, to fill out the resume. I did this and this and this. And did you know what I did in first grade? Right? That, that's what we're teaching right now. And that's, I mean, the, it, it, it's, it's all about me. It's all about taking a selfie of me, right? It's all about an athlete running into the end zone and doing a dance and, and going, it's me, it's me, it's me. It's all about me in this culture. And I love that John the Baptist says this. He says, after me comes the one, the one more powerful than I. John lived his life as a sign to someone else. John, what if your life was assigned to someone else? What if you went into your business saying, you know what, this job, it's not about me reaching my fulfillment, my self-actualization. What if you went into school going, it's not how, how much I can get, how popular I can be, how great a grades I can get. What if my whole life is about being assigned to someone else? So he has this different attitude. It was one of humility. I just talked to a teacher after this, this service, and, and, and you know, it, it, it's hard in this day and age to live as a Christian, isn't it? It's, it's a challenge. It's, it, 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 so often we feel like everything's coming against us. Okay, remind me to tell you about the teacher, because let me, let me give you a, a, an illustration from history first. 313 A.D., Write that date down, 313 A.D., the Edict of Milan. The Edict of Milan is when everything changed, when Christianity went from being an outlier and outlawed to actually being the religion of the land. Here's the problem with Constantine, okay? So this is what so many of us want. We want Christians in power. We want Christians to rule, Christians to be in charge, Christians to be the bosses. And here is what we saw. When Christianity went from being the outlier, from being the persecuted people in Rome, do you know what was happening when they were the persecuted people in Rome? The gospel was spreading like wildfire. And what did Christians do? They went around in their plague in the, in the early hundreds, and they were the ones who actually cared for the sick. Like, they were the only ones. They cared for the sick. They buried the dead. They built extra rooms onto their homes to take in refugees. This is what Christians did back then, and they were bold with this gospel, and they had to be bold because if not, they would, they would actually 
die for the gospel. They were thrown into the gladiator coliseums, and they were, they were executed. And at that time, the gospel spread rapidly. Why? Because people said, you have something that's so precious to you, you're willing to die for it? 313 AD, Constantine, the emperor, all of a sudden says, I'm a Christian. Now, whether he was really a Christian or not, very questionable studying history until his baptism at the very end of his life. But all of a sudden, he starts going into countries with big crosses on the shields and killing people in the name of Christianity. And so what happened? Christianity became easy. Christianity became accepted. Tons of pagan priests changed from being pagan priests to Christian priests. Why? All of a sudden, there were tax incentives. And it was prestigious, and Christians started getting all these places of influence, and guess what happened? The church got diluted, and there was a mix of worldly power and true gospel. Could it be that the best time for Christians is when we're under pressure? Because under pressure, we cry out to Jesus in desperation, and we have to have his power to meet us in our time of need. And we're so desperate for him that we're remaining in him moment by moment. And when you do that, he fills you, he shines out of you, and he changes the world around you. So this Christian teacher, whew, I came back to it. This Christian teacher came up to me and said, you know what, that was so true, because in my school, my principal uh, is not a Christian. In fact, they are promoting all kinds of, of crazy ideologies. And, and my principal actually pulled me aside and said, hey, I'm going to probably have to let you go to make room for someone else. And he was so hurt because he knew it was about the ideology because he stands for Jesus. And he said it was so hard. But he said the next time he saw the, the, the principal, he said God was just putting something on his heart. And he's like, oh, I don't want to do this. But he actually told the principal, he, he goes, I know you're in a hard place. And you talked to me about maybe having to let me go for other people. I know that puts pressure on you. Can I pray for you? And he finishes praying. And the principal goes, you know what? I've been like studying different things and studying some things about Christianity. Every time you read something in the Bible, would you come talk to me about it? Because I want to know your opinion. <laughs> Just saw him this week. The principal shows him a book. She goes, I've been reading this book. You'd probably be interested. It's called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Could it be under pressure where we cling to Jesus and we hear him speak, and actually it's in those moments where we should respond in hate that we respond in love that starts changing people? Last one. A different motivation. A different motivation. What if we were people who were motivated by, motivated by things that are very different than what the world is motivated by? Listen to this. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of his sandals. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This isn't about a religion. This is about a relationship with the living God. And it's not just a relationship with the living God up there that you're kind of like, yeah, me and the man upstairs, we're good. He's saying, no, the Holy Spirit is God that's come to earth and he's moving around us and he actually wants to baptize you. Okay, I've been doing this, this um, 
remodeling project. We've been turning our, our, our garage into an apartment, and one of the challenging things is I've been having to put insulation in, and you're laying these sheets of insulation and so as you're doing that, it's like getting in your skin. It's like this fiberglass stuff, and it starts itching. And I'm thinking, you know what? This is a lot like uh, uh, trying to make my home in the world. It just, it just starts getting into your skin. And so I couldn't wait to be done. I ripped off my clothes, and I ran and jumped in the shower and just let it wash every single part of me. He says he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. It's not just a little, oh, that, that, that is American Christianity. Oh, it's Sunday. Oh, I'm good, right? No, it's the, I don't want to ruin my mic here. Picture this. I, I, on the little, little ranch I grew up on, in Texas, I would be outside working, and sometimes I'd get into just a patch of poison ivy. It's the world, folks. You're just in it, you're working, and all of a sudden, it just gets all over you. And, and you know what I'd do, and, and it was, it's okay because I was on a ranch and so no one was around. I'd strip off my clothes, and I'd be running through the pasture to just dive into the pool, to just be baptized. That's what we need, folks. Jesus isn't saying repent to be a better Christian. He's saying repent, Acts 3.19, repent so that seasons of refreshing might come. Repent and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. What if you could live with God all over you? Like, this is what happened to me in my early adult life. I didn't even know. I hadn't even heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If I had, I was against it because that was for those weird people. But I'll never forget being a young adult and just being like, I, am, I don't like how I live. I'm a Christian, but I'm stuck in sin. I'm, I, my, my, the lustful thoughts and my body's drawn to do things that I don't want. So I remember getting in my living room and I remember just repenting and I turned my hands down like I was releasing that sin and I just started repenting of everything I could. And then I opened up my hands and I said, in the place of that, Lord, in the place where that sin occupied, now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me to overflowing. Dangerous prayer. Because I started sensing his presence. Like I started feeling a real presence, like electricity, like warmth, like liquid love coming over my head. Now, and no one had ever talked to me about something like this. In fact, it freaked me out. It started coming all over me from head to toe, and then I felt power coming up from within me. And all of a sudden, I'm praying in a different language, and no one had told me about that before. So I, have a, I actually covered my mouth. I'm like, ah! But it changed me. And it set me free from sin, and it made me fall in love with Jesus. And if there's something we want for you, it's to fall in love with Jesus. And if you say, I'm not in love with Jesus, then ask God to help you fall in love with Jesus. And if you say, but I, I actually like my sin, then ask God to help you hate your sin. You see, it takes God to live for God. It takes God to fall in love with God. So ask God to help you fall in love with God. And then the more you fall in love, the more you want more and more and more. Woo! Stand up.